Welcome to the Not Tonight podcast, where we have bold conversations about sex and intimacy in marriage. I'm Rachel. And I'm Caitlin. And we are two married women who believe that telling the truth about sex leads to connection, joy, and freedom. In each episode, we will elevate stories of women discovering their most authentic self by doing the work in their own sex lives. Join us as we hear from incredible women just like you who are discovering that the path to healing begins in the bedroom. Welcome back to the last regular season episode of season three of the Not Tonight podcast. This might sound a little different today because this is Caitlin and I am acting as the host today because I'm interviewing my co-host, the beautiful Rachel Walker for today's episode. Caitlin, you're going to do great. <laughs> I know it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so we decided some time ago that our cadence on this podcast is that Rachel is the host and I am kind of more of a commentator come in to speak on some things, but we're, we're changing it up today because Rachel is in the interview seat today. So I'm so excited. Rachel and I have been friends for years and years, and we know so much about each other, but I know that I'm going to learn more about you during this episode. So are you ready to dive in? As ready as I'll ever be. Let's give this a go. (laughs) All right. So in Rachel fashion, I will take us back to the beginning (laughs) of Rachel's life and tell us about your upbringing, your family of origin, the messaging that you received about relationships and about sexuality growing up. Okay. So, (laughs) so bizarre answering these questions myself now, but we got this. (laughs) Okay. So I grew up in a religious home. Um, My childhood was shaped around my religious beliefs and my family's religious beliefs. And so I grew up in a traditionally evangelical family. We went to church. I went to Sunday school, did all the things. So I ingested messages from my culture around me about relationships and sexuality and my role as a woman from when I was really young. However, my parents began divorcing when I was in grade school. And that process lasted a decade. Wow. Yeah. So my parents' divorce (laughs) really defined my childhood and not just them, but like the concept of divorce. Like there was so much inner turmoil in my heart about if what my parents were doing was right or wrong. I was very concerned with right and wrong early on. And so I was making judgments about how my parents were behaving and the choices they were making. And for me to make sense of my world, I had a lot of judgment and that was keeping things kind of put in the boxes that needed to be put in so I could function. Hmm. And so um, for any of you out there who know the Enneagram, you could probably pick up on this real fast that I am an Enneagram one. (laughs) So we're not going to go into the Enneagram and nerd out about that on this episode, but you can tell that my like deep sense of judgment and right and wrong goes way back, way, way, way back. So my relationship with my parents was kind of all over the place. I um, felt closer to my dad when I was younger. I felt more estranged from my mom. I didn't really trust the choices she was making. uh, And I tended to side more with my dad. And Mm -hmm. in that, 
I found a lot of identity in the way that my dad was more stoic and that he also had a lot of boxes and judgments for things. And I felt like, oh, that makes sense to me. And so it felt safer for me to kind of align with how he processed things. Mm -hmm. And so I felt a sense of relationship with him and closeness with him. But I will caveat that to say that he was not a person who had a lot of emotional closeness. And so when I say I was closer to my dad, it wasn't like we talked about things and like had this deep emotional relationship. I just felt like, like my brain worked like his did. And so there was a lot of just putting emotions in boxes and keeping things tidy and making sense of my life and following the rules and doing the right thing. That's just, that's kind of how I coped with my parents splitting up and the chaos that I felt in my own home. So that being said, I did not see my parents happy and close and loving and affectionate with one another in my childhood. Um, I have a couple of very select memories of like my dad kissing my mom as he came home from work, but that was when I was really, really young. And so I don't have an example that goes back to when I'm young of parents who really were there for one another. And so I felt that void deep in my heart. I did not know what it looked like for adults to have a loving relationship. And I saw snippets maybe outside of my parents, but those weren't people in my life that I was in community with often. So it still felt very foreign to me. So that was kind of my earliest memories of, of relationships. Now, when it came mm-hmm. to sexuality, my mom gave me a talk when I was in like fifth grade, kind of like we had the sex ed thing at school and then like parents came home and talked to their kids. My mom had a conversation with me and I was totally mm-hmm. freaked out about it. I was like, <laughs> nope, nope, nope. Don't like this. Stop talking. Like lots of shame, lots of get away. Yeah. <laughs> and so she did, she did the thing, but that was kind of it. And mm-hmm. any other sexual conversation when I was in my formative years felt more like little jokes or little inappropriate prods at sexuality that I felt like just didn't feel good inside. And so I felt a lot of like almost that there was this sense of inappropriateness that just came with sexuality. Mm. And so I heaped my own assumptions and judgments on top of that and felt like this is just, if it, it does not fit in a box that is good, it, it there, therefore it must exist in a box that is bad. So mm. in All of this swirling together with my religious upbringing and then my parents splitting apart and then not knowing how to see sex in a positive light, I just didn't really know what to do with it. Mm. Yeah, that sounds kind of lonely. Mm. So you were around boys, but this seemed like something that you almost maybe distanced yourself from a little bit. Um, because you were just like, this is not for me. This is, let's put this in the other box. Let's put this in the no box. And it was just Mm -hmm. kind of kept Mm -hmm. a distance from it all. Yeah. So I'd say that like, I started having crushes on boys when I was in like fourth grade, but Mm -hmm. it was very innocent in the sense that it was like, oh, I just, he seems really cute and nice. And I'd love to like Mm -hmm. be around him. It's not like I desperately wanted a boyfriend from the get go and it wasn't sexual. Mm -hmm. So I think that I felt like crushes were okay because that kind of started pre-sexual awakening 
in my own development. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But but any sort of development into more of a sexual desire absolutely went into the bad box, hundred percent. Mm. Okay. So when and at what point did that start changing for you? Mm. This was more like high school when that started happening, when I started Mm. sensing more of like a longing or desire that felt deeper than like a crush. Mm. And those feelings were overwhelming for me. And Mm. they felt so gaping and deep because I never had those feelings returned to me when I was Mm. in high school. And so I did feel very lonely. My sexual awareness felt very lonely. I felt like I wasn't supposed to have it. And I felt that when I did have it, that there was no chance of it actually being realized. Mm -hmm. And so I just was kind of in myself and it felt very isolating. I didn't have the trust with my parents to talk about it with them. I didn't even want to talk to friends about it. It felt so private in myself and I didn't know where to go. So there was just a lot of shame. There was a lot of loneliness. You hit it right on the head. Like I felt very isolated. So Mm -hmm. in that season of high school, I always had somebody that I had a crush on and the intensity of that crush would vary over time. It wasn't always super intense. It wasn't always really mild. It it came and went. But what I did start to discover was I had sexual feelings and sensations and I started experimenting with those sensations and exploring myself. But I would never put a label on that. I didn't, I, I basically like was in denial on what I was doing because it would be in the bad box if I actually admitted Mm. what I was doing. And so Mm. this was something like I carried this for years and just having sexual feelings, having those sensations, it did not fit into my equations in my brain. It did not Mm. fit where it was supposed to. And so that added to the loneliness. It added to me feeling like I was the only one having experiences like this because Mm -hmm. any sort of sexual feelings or sensations were either bad or wrong. Mm -hmm. And so it was was a big ball of loneliness in high school. So Yeah, I, I hate that for you. And it also just rings true of the same story of so many people that mm-hmm. I've heard because the messages like mm-hmm. the, mm-hmm. that self exploration mm-hmm. is a bad thing. Like, Oh, that breaks my heart for young Rachel and all mm-hmm. the young people in the world, which is way too many that have gotten that message because it yeah. is so natural and normal <laughs> and like yeah. literally what we're created to do. And, mm-hmm. and, and the fact that, you know, someone like you, especially that had such a sense of right and wrong always mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. have to carry that shame with such like a normal, I'd even say beautiful, healthy, you know, development in life. Oh, I just hate that. I hate that you had Mm -hmm. to go through that. Mm, Thank you, friend. I hate it too. And just peeking ahead a little bit, 
I have seen how that season of my life actually really prepared me well for mm. my future and for mm. my sexuality. And so I was so fearful to even put words to this for, I don't know, 10, 15 years after the season of my life, even I wouldn't mm. talk about it. I didn't, I, it's, it's still uncomfortable for me to talk about, mm. but I now just see so much beauty in how it prepared me for who I am now and what I've learned. So there is mm. hope, <laughs> but okay. it was a really hard season. <laughs> mm. Okay. Well, I want to hear more about that, but let's, let's stay on the timeline here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know that at, at a relatively young age, you did then start dating just because I know about your timeline. So mm-hmm, what, mm-hmm. what happened after that? <laughs> yeah. So um, it's funny. I was actually reflecting on this with my husband last night Mm -hmm. and how when he came into my life, I was six months out of high school Mm -hmm. and he was in his second round of college. And Mm -hmm. I went up and met him on his college campus because I had a friend who was also going to that college and they were kind of in similar friend groups. And so Mm -hmm. We met up a few times before we started dating because of mutual Mm. friends. And so when I first met him, like my brain was like tall, cute, and (laughs) like that was about it. Like tall and cute. Like (laughs) I I was like, "Mm, yes. Because for those of you who don't know, I'm 5'10". And all the guys that I had crushes on in high school were like 5'10". Or, or less. Like they were all short. And I was like, I'm destined to end up with a short guy. And here comes my husband, who's not my husband at the time, who's six four, and like he's this dark hair and his little scruffly, like five o'clock shadow. And I was like, this is like a man. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> this is not a high school boy anymore. Which he wasn't at all yeah. because he was he was six years older than me. So he was mm. in his well into his 20s when I met him. And so he didn't mm. look like even the other college guys that were around. He was mm. older. He was like the big brother. So mm. we met, we got together and like <laughs> within the first couple weeks of me dating him, like my whole brain chemistry changed when I got mm. in a relationship with him. And there were a few reasons for this. Number one, I had never been the source of attention from another guy before. Mm. And I didn't know what that felt like. And I felt so seen and cared for and and known like I'd never been known before. And I started having these like dreams and visions of like having a family and marrying this guy and like having a home Mm. together and a life together. And here I am, 18, a week or two into dating my first ever boyfriend. Like, (laughs) and I'm like, we can build a life together, right? And and, well, it's just funny to like look forward at what did actually happen, which was exactly that. But okay, continue. Yes, yes, and. But I had, but I had put so much of my identity in being alone up until that point, and like mm. I'm never gonna get married, I'm never gonna have kids, I'm never gonna settle down, I'm just gonna be me. And then this guy comes along, and now all of a sudden my brain's like, let's get married and have children and have a house together. Like I never mm. had those feelings before, but I think what I'm learning now is that I did want those things, 
but mm-hmm. I told myself I didn't to protect myself. Mm-hmm. And so I put my desires in a box at a very, very young age. And when I started dating my husband, those desires were allowed to exist again. Mm-hmm. And so he he really like this is this sound like the corniest thing you've ever heard in your life, but he literally <laughs> made my dreams come true. Oh, <laughs> and I love that. <laughs> it, it was like, it's so silly to say it out loud, but like truly, like we found so much healing in just being together. And so mm-hmm. while we were both young and while I had zero experience dating anybody, it was a really beautiful actualization of some things that both of us had longed for for a long time. Mm. I'm curious after witnessing your parents, you know, difficult relationship and not seeing that sort of affection towards each other and shutting it down Mm -hmm. in your own life, Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. was it hard to kind of like transition into that? Was it like, Mm. is this, is this possible? Did you, you know, what was that like to decide to step into that life after it's not something you'd really seen firsthand before? Mm -hmm. I'd say that I think my heart really knew that I wanted it. And so Mm. I wasn't really afraid of it. Like I maybe could have been. Mm -hmm. Um, But I will say that the complicated part of my relationship was more in the physical sexual element. Um, Mm. I had carried, as you know, so much shame, so much loneliness, so much confusion around my sexuality in my teen years that now I'm in a relationship where there is a sexual component to it. And I had to actually reckon with it. I couldn't just keep putting it in the box and ignoring it anymore. Like now there is another person Mm. there. So this was very complex. And I'll tell you a funny story. So the night that we decided we were going to start dating, like I went over to his house. I met his parents for the first time. We sat and had this like two hour long conversation about our life goals and if it's possible for them to align. I'm not joking. (laughs) You are the most mature 18 year old that I've ever heard of, which doesn't surprise me knowing you now. So, okay. Sorry. Continue. It it was humorous looking back. We did. We like made a pros cons list. We talked them over point by point, all the things. And we kind of got to the end. We're like, you know what? There's some things that don't really make a lot of sense, but for whatever reason, we're going to go for it. We're just going to give it a try. And Mm -hmm see what this looks like. And, um, when I left his house that night, um, we were like, okay, we are dating. We are boyfriend and girlfriend. Like it was official. Mm -hmm. And as I left, he leaned in and kissed me before I drove Mm -hmm. home. And I had never been kissed in my life. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, (laughs) I remember Mm -hmm. like pulling back and it was completely sudden. I didn't know this was going to happen. It was very shocking. And I was like, okay, bye. And like drove away. (laughs) And I was so scared. I was so scared of my Mm -hmm. own sexuality from the get-go. And we talked after that and decided we were going to not kiss each other until I specifically said I was ready and wanted to do that. Mm -hmm. And It was a really cool precedent to set in our relationship from literally day one or day two, I guess. (laughs) Um, And it took us a couple weeks before I kissed him again, but I like really wanted to kiss him in that moment. Mm. And it was about waiting for me to be ready. Mm. And 
I look now at our relationship even now and then looking back at that moment and going, he has always been ready to wait for me to be ready. Mm. He's always been like respectful of my boundaries and like been okay with me taking the time I need. And it has been such a gift and a joy. And yet at 18, I didn't know that. I didn't know what I needed. And so it was just like, okay, all I know is that I'm not ready to kiss you. And not because I don't want to kiss you, but I don't want to kiss you yet. Like it was was complicated. Mm. And so Mm. once I did kiss him because I wanted to, Then this whole host of feelings and emotions and sensations woke up in me that was a little terrifying because it felt out of control. Mm. And I quickly woke up to my own desire and that did feel very out of control. And yet it felt really Mm. good. And so then embarked on our journey of what does it look like to live a quote unquote pure dating relationship while having plenty of sexual desire. Mm. And it was hard. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, you know, is taking a different route. Like I'm, I'm fascinated by this. I, Mm -hmm. I'd love to dig into that. I'd love to Mm. dig into what that looked like because what I love so much about your story is that there was so much intentionality in it. Oh my goodness. Like to make a pros and cons <laughs> list at 18 to decide if you're going to date, if it makes sense for you and to have the awareness of that you weren't ready for that kiss and to put a stop to it. Like, I feel like myself as a young person would have just been like, well, whatever, it's what I'm supposed to do. I'm just going to press forward just <laughs> despite uncomfortable feelings. Um, so I'm, I'm just so impressed by 18 year old Rachel. Mm. It doesn't surprise me at all, but <laughs> I, I want to, I want to hear about what that journey looked like for you because yes, at 18 sexual desire pretty raging at the end you're you're falling mm-hmm. in love for mm-hmm. the first time mm-hmm. like but you had very clear like intentions of like what you wanted that to look like for you so yeah mm-hmm. like tell me about that journey yeah um it was a very messy one and i mm-hmm. think most of if not all my boundaries were based on these messages I had gotten from my religious background about purity. Mm. And I mean, like I went to a Christian high school and we literally had a relationships class and we talked about like purity and like how far is too far. And I don't have a lot of very concrete memories of that class, but I looked back on it fondly because when I was in high school, I wanted those rules. I wanted to know what I was Mm. supposed to do. And so I was taking all this knowledge, all of this advice from my religious upbringing, and it led to so much shame in my relationship. Mm. And so I could really sum my relationship and my, my dating and engagement season with my husband up in this in this one sense where I, I journaled religiously during these years, every day I journaled and mm. every day, like I got to a point where I was so frustrated with my lack of ability to control myself in, and my own sexual desires that every day in my journal, I would write a rating, a number rating of the day of how well or poorly I did when it came to controlling my own sexual urges. Wow. 
Yeah. Now that's one I have not heard you tell me before. Like that is, yeah. it just shows how controlled mm-hmm. we are, like as women in this culture. Like, and, and because you have such a pure heart of doing the right thing, mm-hmm. like how that was stronger for you than other people to actually rate yourself on a daily basis a number. Wow. That's wow. Yeah. 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 And so just so you know that, that lower rating, like the lower the rating, the better. So if I was at like a one or a two, that means I like barely kissed him that day. And Mm. I'd have these quote unquote bad days where I'd be at sevens or like, you know, I'd be, I'd be getting up there and I just felt, Mm. but all it did was shame me into like trying to do better the next day. But then I'd like Mm. flip back through my journal from the last month and be like, what are my ratings looking like from the past month? Like it was so mean. It was Mm. so mean. Yeah. And it was so, it was so unkind. And and yet I also didn't know how else to get myself to do something different Mm. because I I wanted to stay pure, but I was so close and connected with Nick and wanted to grow in that closeness. And when you want to grow in closeness and intimacy and you really like think the other person's attractive, like it's very hard to not just like want to be all over them. So it, yeah. it was it was so confusing. And yet I did want to like wait until marriage. I did want to like have things be new and special when we did get to the other side of that commitment and that mm-hmm. celebration. And mm-hmm. yet the way that I went about that, I wish the exact opposite on myself now. Like I wish so mm. much that I was so much more compassionate and gentle and kind to myself. Mm. And again, popping ahead briefly, I think what we, what my husband and I did during our dating and engagement years physically with one another actually paved the way to a really great sex life later. Mm. But I never would have said that. I thought I was dooming myself. Every time I gave myself Mm -hmm. a higher rating, I was like, this is just going to make our married sex life worse. Like I thought I was actively chipping away at it. Ah, okay. So that was, it was it, that's what I was going to ask next. Like, was it the higher, if you get too many high numbers, are you going to hell? Like, or is it, yeah. Like doing the, yeah. like what was the consequence to you? Right. And so I didn't believe that it was a salvation issue, um, mm. but I did believe that it was like the health of our marriage was in jeopardy and I was mm. jeopardizing or we were jeopardizing our marriage. I felt like it was me Mm. because again, I felt like Nick was responsive to where I was comfortable going Mm. or not. And so I did feel like it was my job to not mess up our marriage basically. So. Mm. Gosh, that's a lot to carry and to put it all on yourself and to shame yourself. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I have, I also have so much compassion for young Rachel having to battle that within yourself every day. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. All right. Well, so let's continue the story. So, so what, what happened next? So we got married and I was fully expecting to not necessarily have a great sex life. Like, I don't know. Like I just thought Mm -hmm. that I had done too much to wreck it. Uh, Mm. And so we got to our wedding night and had like a really amazing experience. Like our, our first sexual experience together was awesome and not Mm. what I've heard from many others about wedding nights. And Mm. 
I didn't have an orgasm the first time I had sex, but I did feel really connected, really close. I felt very cherished. We took things at a pace that felt comfortable to me. And it really, really felt like a celebration of our union. Like it was so beautiful. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You don't hear that story too often about the wedding night sex. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And it was, um, it was not the start I anticipated. And I was so nervous. Like you ask Nick now about like our wedding night, like leading up to when we actually were back in our hotel room and like we walked Mm -hmm. around and like did some things in between our wedding and, and going to the hotel. And he'll Mm -hmm. tell you, like, I wouldn't even make eye contact with him. I was so nervous. (laughs) Like I was Mm -hmm. terrified, but then it went so well. And then like, we had a great honeymoon and we just like bumped into corners of like our, our learnings and like just figured it out together. And it was like a really beautiful beginning season. There was awkwardness and there was like all sorts of getting to know each other, but it was really, really sweet. And, um, Mm. the issue came when seven weeks into our marriage, we discovered that I was five weeks pregnant. Mm. Wow. (laughs) And, (laughs) That was another piece where I was responsible for birth control because I told Nick I had it under control. It's fine. I got this. And Mm. I did not have it. In fact, I had the natural family planning method completely backwards on the calendar because, again, Mm. I was trying to do this on my own. I was trying to handle it. And so we ended up pregnant the first try. And Mm. so then basically – our sex life has always had kids in some sort of context, Uh, whether I've been growing one or they've been in our home. Like we only had a couple weeks of carefree, kid-free sex life. And so it's been complicated. And you you as a person, because yeah, you you saved yourself for him. So therefore, yeah, you were pregnant just as a woman, really one of the first times that she ever had sex. Yeah. Yeah. And you were, I don't know, we set a timeline, but you were how old at this age? So we got married when I was 20. Um, so that's 20, when I got pregnant yeah. as well. So yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, before we go too much into that, I do want to ask, because you said earlier that those, the things that you had done physically beforehand kind of prepared you for this. Mm-hmm. Can you tell mm-hmm. me a little bit more about that? Yeah. Um, so we were really good at making out before we got married. (laughs) And I feel like we had some boundaries on like what touching was allowed, but I feel like the bits that we did allowed me to feel sexual pleasure and Mm. feel what it felt like to feel sexual pleasure with another person. Mm -hmm. And so I do remember a conversation he and I had before we got married where we kind of talked about, okay, how's this wedding night going to go? Like, we feel like we need to have a little conversation about this first. And I remember us saying to each other, like, well, it'll just be like what we always do, but just kind of keep going. Mm. And that was actually really comforting for me because I was like, oh, Mm. so much of it, so much of the lead up is already familiar, even though I'm like in my head shaming myself that it is so familiar, right? But it was, (laughs) (laughs) it was familiar. And so when we then got to the wedding night, it it was comfortable and familiar at the start. And then it was just like, okay, we're just going to cross more quote unquote boundaries. I don't even want to use that word in this context, but like cross more things that we haven't crossed before. 
mm-hmm. slowly, one at a time, and then kind of unfold it and mm-hmm. together. And so, yeah, it just felt less mm-hmm. abrupt, less like a light switch, like other people have described and less like, and yeah. you know, I've heard that before too. It's like, oh, you can't do anything. And then now you can do everything. Like we did mm-hmm. kind of do more of a gray slide into marriage mm-hmm. and it really served us well. So. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. When I think of the light switch method, and again, I don't want to put words into other people's mouths or speak to anybody's experience that I haven't had. But to me, mm-hmm. that seems like very hard to go from never being touched or kissed even to mm-hmm. the whole shebang in, in oh, one yeah. day at the same time. Mm-hmm. That seems like a lot. <laughs> it mm-hmm. seems like that would be really, really difficult. I don't know, in my yeah. opinion. So, yeah. okay, that that's interesting that you found, like you said, a, a, the slide into it helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so mm-hmm. then tell me about those early years, whether pregnancy and first child. Yes. So I'd say that like babies were like always part of the picture in just various phases. And so I don't mm-hmm. know, because that was just kind of our, our lived reality. It didn't seem mm-hmm. to change things for us in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. I'm sure there might have been times when it was more difficult to have sex or maybe we'd have a little less because maybe I was super pregnant or I was postpartum, you know, things like that. But that's not what stands out to me of those early years. Mm. Um, What stands out to me more is like before I was married, I was going to be the perfect not married woman who could be pure and who like had her sexuality put in a nice box. And, you know, I I failed at those things, but I was like trying. Right. And so now Mm -hmm. that I'm married, now my job is to be like the perfect wife who's like the right Mm -hmm. amount of sexy, but not, you know, overwhelmingly sexy in a way that's inappropriate. But like now we're going to have this good frequency and then we're going to have like slightly more often than the average couple. We're going to make sure we're having that much sex, like whatever that is, that's what I want to have. And Mm -hmm. like there was, I put so much expectation on myself to show up in a certain way at a certain frequency with a certain amount of this, that, and the other. And I bought the lingerie. I, we had the fun, spicy date nights. We tried different adventurous little things. I remember we once, this was, this was an adventure that I don't think anybody needs to try personally is like, (laughs) I was like, we need to be daring and have sex in a public place. And Nick is like, why? And I'm like, because it's like daring and adventurous and we're supposed to do these things. Right. (laughs) So we like literally had sex in a, like in a dressing room at like a department store. (laughs) Don't do it. Anybody listening. (laughs) I mean, unless you really like dirty places, then go ahead. Mm. But like, I don't know. It was so like, it was a, we should, I'm supposed to. Uh, Yes. I had this like checklist in my mind of like, People who are sexually adventurous do these things. So slowly, let's make sure we check those off one by one down the Mm. list so that we can say we have a cool, adventurous sex life. Not like necessarily for other people, because I didn't feel like I needed to brag about it, but it was for my Mm -hmm. own sense of satisfaction. Mm -hmm. So those early years were plagued by performance. Mm. Plagued. So would you say that you were enjoying it during the early years or was it pretty much just for his pleasure? I would say that I did get physical enjoyment out of them, Mm -hmm. but I was pretty consumed with 
things happening a certain way that I didn't really live in my body. I didn't experience things Mm. in my body. So like I could have orgasms, I could have physical pleasure, but I wasn't really like enjoying it truly. Like it's Mm. funny to say that you can have orgasms without like really enjoying them. Like sure, physically Mm. they feel good, but like as a whole human being, there were pieces of me that were not in that pleasurable state because I was so distracted by my need to perform in a certain way. And that need was put on me by myself and by the Mm. other messages I'd gotten, not by my husband. Like he was always like, Mm -hmm. we don't have to have sex that often. We don't need to do these things. Like why, why do you feel like we have to do this or that or whatever? Like, it's like, I just want Mm. you. And I either didn't believe him or just didn't feel like it was good enough. So I was like, yeah, but we're still going to do more things or I want this or blah, 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 blah. Yes. And I think that does play to your sense of wanting to do things right. That's innate Mm -hmm. in who you are. Like, I I don't know Mm -hmm. if that's your Enneagram one or, but that's (laughs) like you, you do have perfectionist tendencies, which can come out and it's a good thing. You want, you're like, no, Mm -hmm. I'm going to have the best marriage. No, I'm going to do, I'm going to be the best wife. I'm going to do this the best way. Like that's, it's, it's your desire to strive for just being the best you can. Mm -hmm. But there's also a flip side to that. And it's like, yeah, yeah, in service of hitting a benchmark or, you know, Mm -hmm. in in others, instead of like, because I want to be enjoying this, you know, like, instead of like you said, being inside of yourself. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So I was extremely detached from, from my Mm. own lived experience. Mm. Okay. So forward a, a little bit. How did this play out as you had a couple more kids um, mm-hmm, go down mm-hmm. the line, you're trying mm-hmm. to perform and, and hit your benchmarks. And so how did that play out as time went on? Yeah. So I think I started realizing that no matter how many benchmarks I hit or no matter how many adventures we tried, I didn't necessarily feel this deep sense of fulfillment that I wanted in my sex life. Mm. Hmm. And I was realizing this doesn't have to do with the actual sex we're having. Like it's not bad sex. And it's not that I don't want to be having sex with my husband. I do like that. I do get pleasure. But there was just something that wasn't right. There was something missing. And I could not pinpoint it because I felt like I was trying to hit it from all angles and nothing was working. And we try something new and then it still feel like this just, but this isn't. I don't know. We kept trying to spice it up when I now know that like spicing it up isn't what addresses what's really going on, which Mm. was my addiction to performance. And so Mm. I started discovering that performance wasn't going to work, but I didn't know it until I took this course where you and I met and Mm -hmm. I started Mm -hmm. learning about sex not being a performance And it being about what's actually true in your own self and in your own body and paying attention to what you need, not what anybody else says they think you should need. And Mm. that changed it for me. I finally Mm. was able to start listening to what was actually going on in my own experience and stop taking the focus off of not just my husband, but off of all these other voices in my head. Because I think what really was distracting me was not even him having the best time. Like, yeah, there were times I was focused on that, but it was more like 
me showing up in the right way based on these other voices and influences that were just sitting up there being real loud. So I I learned to turn those voices down as much as I could and focus on the voice that was inside my own body and then show up out of that space. Mm. Wow. I'm just hearing wisdom inside of Mm. you because I think so many people just be like, hey, the boxes are checked. Like, good enough. Mm. Like, I'm fulfilling, you know, I'm I'm hitting the goals, hitting the obligations, Mm -hmm. and, and we're good. But you tuned in and knew that there was something more Mm. that could be there in your sexuality Mm -hmm. and your sexual relationship. And I am so impressed with you Mm. just having that awareness enough for you to be like, I'm going to actually go out and get additional support because I know there's something more here for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's funny because I don't even like know what that moment was that I felt like there was something missing because I think it was a slow burn. But I think Mm -hmm. what really got me on the track of of actually getting help or or seeking more support was thinking about how I, I enjoyed sex okay, but I didn't really like desire it. It was something Mm -hmm. that was on my list. It was something that was important in theory. It was something that I physically enjoyed, but it wasn't something that I ever like was drawn to. And so I wanted mm-hmm. to figure out like, how how can I ignite some sort of actual desire to do this? So yeah. So what did that look like? You know, you got help, you learned a lot about yourself, you learned to tune in to your own mm-hmm. needs. And, and what did that look like for you? Like what did you learn to tune into your desire? So I learned first that it was really important that I showed up to a sexual experience and led it. Like mm. I got to determine what was happening and not just like what I thought in my own head was supposed to happen, but actually what in my body do I want at this very moment and take it step yeah by step without a goal in mind. And that was actually a really big learning for me, just this concept of leading a sexual experience, because I'd been told my Mm -hmm. whole life that I was supposed to be the one who received his sexual energy, essentially, based Mm -hmm. on, you know, how men are supposed to be according to, Mm -hmm. I don't know, society, Mm -hmm. religion, whatever. Mm -hmm. And yet that had never really been the dynamic in our marriage I didn't feel Mm -hmm. like I was constantly receiving my husband's sexual energy. He was such always like a responsive, tender heart who was like, why do we need to be doing this this much? Like, (laughs) I'm fine. (laughs) And I'm like, well, maybe it's not about what you want. Maybe it's about what we Mm -hmm. should do. So like, it was all so (laughs) confusing. And, And so when I showed up and actually led from my own heart, it was like what both of us had always wanted without realizing that's what we always wanted. And so it was super beautiful to lead an experience and let the, that experience unfold in a way that was true to what my actual body and heart desired. 
And this is something I feel like I still come back to to this day is when I feel like I might be a little off track or I feel a little distracted. I come back to myself and go, what, what do I want? Just me. What does my body want right now at this very second? And not focus on what time it is or how long we've been doing X, Y, or Z, like what feels good right now. And so that practice was essential from the beginning for me. And it has served me well for five years now since I've been doing this work. Mm, I love that. It's a simple thing that we can just go back to that one simple question could guide so many of us in our sex lives, if we learn to tune into that. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I don't think women were taught to ask that in our sex yeah. life at all. Right. Um, yeah. But that question is everything. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it just, mm-hmm. it takes it from a place of should or have to or obligations or pressure and all the things that are crushing sex lives out there and mm-hmm. tuning into something that's pleasurable and enjoyable and, and filling mm. to you. So I'm so grateful that you and I we're able to discover that and and practice it. And I agree. I I still use that to just tune in, mm-hmm. whether it's before mm-hmm. the sexual experience, at any point during the sexual experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, gosh, if women could learn to do that, honestly, in the sexual experience and outside of it, in, in our lives, in our relationships, my gosh, what a different mm-hmm. world we could live in. Yes. And I think that's what I started noticing when I started doing the work was that Mm. this isn't just about the bedroom. This isn't just change that is isolated to this one environment, which is why I couldn't stop thinking about it. Couldn't stop talking about it. Couldn't stop researching. Like I Mm. talked my husband's ear off for nights upon end about all the things I was learning and wanted to learn more about, the things I was discovering about me, the things I was noticing in other women. I found a passion through going through my own journey of discovery and realized how much work there is to be done out there in getting these messages out that women so desperately need to hear. Mm. And hence, we are here on a podcast (laughs) that we have co-created in order to have more women just ask that question in a way, a different variation of that question to tune in to themselves Mm -hmm. and listen Mm -hmm. to themselves. Oh, I'm so glad that you learned to listen to inner Rachel because inner Rachel is awesome and has a lot of <laughs> wisdom to share. Oh, thank you, friend. I I am grateful mm. too for all the ways that my body and heart have guided me in this journey, and it hasn't been like smooth sailing either. Mm. After learning some of these new things, it took a lot of practice for me to continually recenter myself and actually listen to what's in myself and. Lots of practice of going, okay, I'm actually hearing the voice in my head as a voice, not myself, just like saying that is separate to me. That is not me. That is a voice coming Mm. into myself. That's not true for me. Mm. And then it took time for my husband to understand what I was learning as well. 
and he had his mm-hmm. own journey and like there's been a lot of ups and downs and and processing as he has also been reckoning with his own sexuality because i think that when us as women do work in our sexual journeys it impacts our partners and they're faced with a decision are they going to continue believing what they've always believed about sexuality or are there some mm. things in there that that need to shift for them too and my husband mm. discovered there were things that needed to shift for him and I think all of us have things that need to shift. And I am really grateful that he chose to say yes to that work because I feel like it has moved us into a stage now where we can have really connected sex and we can also have hard moments or we can have moments of disagreement and we can step back and see each other with the perspective that we need to be able to navigate it with love and compassion and understanding. So I feel really grateful to be on this journey with him too, even though we're both learning at different paces about different parts of our sexuality and we don't have to learn at the same pace at the same time to grow together. So, mm, Yeah, so true. I'm curious if you could share a little bit about, obviously you started enjoying sex more, you started desiring it more, but mm-hmm. what other ripple effects did that have, whether it was in your relationship or just mm-hmm. your life? Do you have any examples of the impact that this work had in your life? Hmm, that's a great question. I feel like I am so much more confident as a human being now because I feel mm-hmm. like the pieces of me that still had a bit of shame hanging onto them don't feel as calloused and as hardened anymore. I feel softer. I feel more able Mm. to relate to other women. I think I put up walls for a long time and felt very unfeminine because I was operating so hard into my masculine energy of do, do, do all the time. And I think my performance oriented view of sex was a big piece of that. Uh, And it Mm. was very much accomplish this, do that, show up this way act and go and perform and all this. And when I was able to take off that performance layer and kind of settle in to myself as a human being, it took off some of that hard masculine energy that was used as a protection mechanism and not actually helpful to me. And so Mm. I can now show up more soft, more tender, more compassionate in my friendships just in other areas of my life. Mm. And I am a firsthand receiver of that compassion. So I can speak firsthand (laughs) to that. It's so true. Oh my gosh. I am just kind of in awe of, you know, Rachel that grew up not witnessing, you know, really a healthy example of you know, a healthy relationship and having so much, you know, insecurity and unsureness through your teen years Mm -hmm. and then entering into what I witnessed as friends over the last five years or so into such a beautiful partnership that you have. It Mm -hmm. really is. It's really been inspiring to me to see how you and Nick have always been on like the same team for each other, Mm. how you just work through things. Yeah. From a space of just compassion and love for each other and like how you're always 
rooting for the other person to mm. be better and to to get to live their most authentic life and be each other's like biggest cheerleader and mm. best partner and you guys are awesome. <laughs> Thank you, friend. I feel like we've gotten to witness each other's marriages in these little pieces and mm-hmm. it's just so wonderful to like put that together. Like the couple times we've visited each other, we've gotten to be like, oh, mm-hmm. okay, that's what that dynamic looks like in real life. Like it's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. will say too that when Nick and I got married, actually one of the biggest things that was the most important to us from day one was being on the same team. Like that was verbiage we used from day one. It was something that we were like counseled through and walked through with a couple who was so near and dear to us during our engagement season that like Mm. helped us prepare for marriage in a lot of ways. And like teamwork has always been our number one. And so even in those seasons where performance just ate away at me like a disease, we still were on each other's team. And so Mm. that has been something that has carried us through some of the harder seasons and some of the times when we just don't see eye to eye or don't understand each other's motivations, we at least are on the same team and know that we are not against each other. Mm -hmm. I love that you received that advice early on because that's something that we had to kind of figure out, you know, Mm. I feel like we started on the same team and then during some difficult seasons, it didn't feel at all like that. And eventually through the help of therapists and counselors and stuff, we became back on the same team Mm. again. And once you have that perspective, just everything shifts because Mm -hmm. you know genuinely that, you know, you may not agree on things, you may not see things the same way, Mm -hmm. but you know Mm -hmm. truly that their intention is to want the best for themselves and you and vice versa. And when you can approach things from that lens, like, oh, it does shift everything. Yeah, for sure. All right, Rachel, I'm going to ask your favorite question, our favorite question to you. (laughs) Rachel, what would you say to young Rachel? Let's go back to those teenage years you know, mid-parental divorce, perhaps, Mm -hmm. a lot of confusion, a lot of shame. What would you say now to young Rachel? I think what stands out in this very moment to me is I would want to come around her and tell her how valuable and amazing she is. Mm. I'd want her to know how much her energy is a gift and a light to others and how she is taking up exactly the amount of space that she should, that she's doing everything just fine. I don't even know (laughs) if I want to use the word right or wrong, but she's fine Mm. because I just want her to know that she's okay and she's going to be okay. And she's not going to feel alone forever. She's not alone, but she's not going to feel alone forever. Mm. Oh, I've loved hearing your whole story. I've, I've heard lots of it before, but thank you for walking me through all of your journey. And oh, I'm so grateful that 
where your journey has led you is for us being here doing this together today. So love you, friend. Love you too. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Not Tonight podcast. If today's story inspired you to take the next step in your own relationship, we invite you to join our online Patreon community. Go to nottonight.org slash Patreon to get started today. We also greatly appreciate your support by subscribing to future episodes and please leave our podcast a five-star review. Until next time, keep doing the work in your sex life, whatever that looks like for you. 